Welcome to the Roboticist Chronicles, an ARC Specialties podcast, where we get into the nuts and bolts of robots, automation, and the implications of an evolving machine workforce. Hello, this is Dan Alford, and you're listening to the Roboticist Chronicles podcast. Today we have a special guest. If you live in Houston, you probably know the name Pits and Spits. They're famous for making barbecue pits, and we now can count Pits and Spits amongst our customers. So my guest today is Ryan Z. I'm going to let you do your own last name. Zaboro. Zaboro. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You know, I, I like to brag that we're in 32 countries around the world, and, and, and that's a, a great source of satisfaction for me. But it's kind of fun to work right here in Houston, so I appreciate this opportunity to put robots here in Houston. So let, let's go into, first off, you got to explain what pits and spits are, because in Houston, you're like an institution, but this podcast is like intergalactic. So <laughs> explain to the rest of our audience what pits and spits is. Sure. So we've been around for 40 years, and we are a... Uh, a fabricator or manufacturer of smokers and grills. And we tend to be, being American-made, tend towards the higher end of the market. So we make anything from offset smokers, which we brought to the backyard market 40 years ago, to pellet grills, to now we just released a hybrid, which is a kind of half pellet grill, half offset smoker, if you want to do both. Um, we just released some fire pits. Uh, and so we kind of we kind of have our hands a little bit everywhere within the kind of the backyard cooking and uh, fire burning market. So what fuels do you approve of? Some people are, uh, are sticky about that. The, uh, the salesy way to say it was, I approve of whatever you're burning as long as it's in one of ours. Well, you're, you're so, doing pellet grills now. That's so. right. That's right. So we do pellet grills, which actually you can get a charcoal pellet as well. So that's, you know, oh, wood and know. charcoal. Uh, of course, live fire is going to be traditional, just splits of wood and then uh, charcoal cooking as well. Uh, we also, we are kind of dabbling into the gas market as well, especially with our fire pits and all of our offset smokers have a log lighter. So there is kind of a gas component there as well. Okay. So, you're, uh, so we, we're kind of all over the place. We don't do any type of infrared or electric just yet. And there's nothing planned for that, but I'm kind of a follow the market kind of guy. So I see. All right. And so how are you involved with this company? Tell us the, tell us the backstory. So I own the company and have owned it for about the last eight and a half years. We're coming up on nine years here pretty soon. And my initial or my education and kind of initial professional training call it was in finance. So I have a finance degree from the university of Texas at and Austin? In, at Austin and, uh, but my background is that I'm, I grew up in Belleville, which is a small town west of here. My grandfather was a farmer rancher, so we grew up out around blue collar work and were in ag classes and FFA growing up. So I still brag about how I was the top welder in my ag class when I was 16. Uh, but so we, we, when I say we, my family, we just had a lot of, a lot of uh, exposure to that type of work. And, you know, I don't, people don't really think of it that way, but, you know, being a, being a farmer and rancher the way he was, he was really an entrepreneur. And then my dad was a dentist in Belleville. And so he was an entrepreneur as well. So I always kind of viewed myself as doing something more, uh, on the startup side or kind of just broadly running or owning and operating a, a business in some capacity. So after being in finance for, I want to say it was about seven, eight years, I started looking around at different businesses to buy, kind of get in on. And, and I, been on the capital investment side, which is a really interesting and important part of the process in general. But I just really was 
fascinated by meeting these guys that would, they were just the unsexy businesses, but then they were really growing them into something and they were employing people and they had this really cool creating corporate culture, wealth. creating yep. wealth for, for not just themselves. Really, really cool stuff. And I've always just been drawn to more hands-on type stuff. You know, like all my hobbies are more like, you know, doing something and looked at a few different businesses and pits and spits came up uh, and it, being here in Houston really made it a, uh, a lot easier, right? There was no moving involved for me. It, it was, uh, kind of easier to, to manage, keep an eye on and run. Uh, initially I did not really, th I thought I'd be a little bit more passive and then pretty, pretty quickly, didn't work out. pretty, pretty quickly you find out that that's not really how it works. And what's really cool is some guys I've met along the way that are 20 years older than me and have been doing something and the manufacturing space in some capacity for a while have, have all said, yeah, you know, everyone kind of thinks that there's a passive aspect and there's just not. Uh, and so that, that was how I got involved with it. And kind of the, the thesis was that at that time we pits and spits was making, you know, 90% of the business was custom and a lot of custom trailers that were used for. That's how you made your name. That's right. That's right. So that was for corporate events, tailgates, kind of big one-off job shop-ish type projects. And then the remaining kind of five or 10% was backyard smokers. Uh, and those, even those had a little bit of a custom aspect to it. But what I really wanted to do was be in as many backyards as possible because there's a lot more backyards than there are cook-off teams or, you know, opportunities to sell to the big oil field services businesses of the world. And so that's how we got into the Pellegro game. And that was in kind of the 2015, 2016 timeframe was when that, that R and D really started to turn into a, uh, to a product line for us. And that really came about because we had a dealer, Texas star grill shop here in Houston, who Rick Martin, the owner there has been ground floor of the pellet grill industry in Texas since the, since its infancy. And he was just kind of pushed me and was asking about it and saying, I'm telling you there's a market for this. And I'm thinking, ah, pellet grills are a fad. You know, no one wants to cheat. Everyone wants to cook with an offset. And, uh, now it's, probably, you know, 80% of our business. Indeed. Uh, and they're simple. That's right. That's right. They're, they're really simple to make. Uh, they look complicated and they look intimidating, but they're actually pretty simple to make. Oh, I mean, they're simple to run. Right. That's right. <laughs> that's it's, what appeals to me. So, right. Yeah. It's just, you, you press the button and I mean, being in automation, it's really, uh, yeah, it's closed loop control. That's exactly, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, that's so, what I look for. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, the, the dentist is an entrepreneurial role model because, uh, my father was an electrician and, uh, and I think that he's the one that inspired me or showed me that, yes, you can still build your own company in America. Mm -hmm. So whether you're a dentist, electrician, or a, a barbecue pit maker, it's all the same thing. That's right. That's right. And it really, it, it is. And it's all people and understanding what your goals are and how to get there. And just in the, uh, I think resilience, uh, resiliency is a big part of it, no matter where right. you are, especially, you know, Business times like right now. That's right. Everything's cyclical. You better be prepared. You know, that's don't, exactly don't spend right. all the money when it's going well, because this, that's right. this too shall pass. That's exactly right. Interesting. So, uh, so this has been a labor intensive industry, you know, custom stuff by definition is not good for robots because they call that high mix, low volume, which is, that's always been the problem with robots. So, so I guess that's why the first first dozen years of your company, there were no robots at all, right? That's right. That's right. And there was, there was no real rhythm you could get into in the manufacturing process. And it, 
the parts that were, let's say, repeatable, the volume just wasn't there because you the mix was so high. And that was one of the things that I really wanted to kind of solve or work towards was have a core product line that you could build and grow the business around. And so when we came up with the Pelligrill or with our with our Pelligrill, we based it off of our stick burner footprint kind of body, if you will, so that the parts, the, the sides are the same, the barrels are the same, the legs are the same, the Good lids idea. are basically the same so that for something like a robot or a plasma table or a laser, mm. well, now you're hitting that volume where you can go get these cut. You can have your robot run them and you're not just hitting a single skew. You're actually hitting like four skews. Because yeah. a robot can do a batch size of one, but your programming time mm. has to be so small to justify the robot in that case. Yep. And, and uh, so you're starting to get your batch sizes up. But I recall we did a demonstration for you guys years ago on a traditional industrial robot and nothing came of it. That's that's right. That's right. And I think it was, I'll just say I was intimidated by it. I I had no experience with robots. It was big and yellow and kind of scary. And there was this going to be this kind of cordoned off area of the shop. And the question was kind of, Who's going to run it and how are we going to program it? All right. But, so the issues were safety, floor, you know, floor space, and programming. And, and so that's, that's where we're going to. So, so you waited until uh, the whole invention of collaborative robots. Exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And so for anybody in the audience not familiar with it, we've talked about it before, but collaborative robots are interesting in that they can work right next to a human being and they have a sense of touch. So if they collide with you, they stop. So that means you don't have to put them in a fence and fence them off by themselves, which improves, uh, you know, workflow and improves safety. And so, so it sounds like, and also the other attribute of collaborative robots is they're typically easier to program too. So mm -hmm. I guess that addressed all of your issues. Yeah, and, 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 uh, the one that y'all built for us is on a skid so we can move it right. if we need to which is great for us because we, we run a pretty lean shop and we don't have a big, you know, we're not a 50,000 square foot uh, facility where we have just tons of extra space. And so we really like that because if we want to move it or move to a new location or, if, you know, in the future we get a couple more, we want to line them up in a cool little line, we can do that. And so it really ended up just coming. It just so happened that it worked in our favor that being patient and, and being timid for a couple of years really worked that worked out for us well what i suspect that you know if we, if we if you come back in five years you will have bought additional collaborative but you will have bought some traditional robots too because the whole issue with uh, collaborative robots is by definition they can't have a high payload capacity right you know because if, if you have a robot that can move a thousand pound object it can't detect a, a, a human being if it hits it so uh, let's say we tackle something else where we're actually having to move the pits I, I think there's some traditional robots in your future. I, I'm all for it. I mean, I, it, it has been so – there are – the reason we got it, right, was to really help our scalability. And that's kind of a, a – I think what most people view as kind of a shortcoming of traditional manufacturing, especially in the, especially in the consumer product space, and that you can't get your volume up to get – call it kind of your labor per unit down to compete with the China – Mexico and India, whereas this is helping us do that and helping us get there. And so when we look at these dirtier, more intense, we'll call them kind of less safe or less comfortable parts of our process, 
my brain immediately goes to, well, they got to have a robot for that. You know, there's mm-hmm. got to be a way you can make this work. And so I think that you're spot on in that, whether it be painting, grinding, whatever, I think that there will be some some industrial robots definitely involved within the next five years. Yeah, dull, dirty, dangerous. That's what robots like to do. Yeah, they That's don't right. they don't mind at all. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I'm I'm glad you said that because I was that was going to be my next question. I'm going to ask you like, uh, you know, you started off with welding robots, but you know, robots can also drill, tap. They can load press brakes. Mm-hmm. They can paint and they can grind. So uh, I hope you're looking at some of these applications. I, all of the above. I mean, we Good. if we look at what other guys, what other manufacturing businesses do and, and how they do it at such competitive prices. And we start thinking about volumes and it's, it's kind of interesting. If you're a standalone third party fabricator that, that you depend on companies like pits and spits to buy products or or parts from you, the math is different than if you're pits and spits who has a product line. Well, for me, a robot at say the press break, that break even for me is a lot lower than someone that's just the third party, right? Because I'm able to, I can work that through my product line and across so many other right. you know, products and I can free that employee up to go do something else or extend his career life, right? I mean, that's, so it's something you and I talked about when we got the welding robot was that when our employees understand what the robot's gonna do and they buy into, wait, wait a second, I'm not losing my job. My job just got easier. No, the company's going to get bigger. Right. That's right. <laughs> and so that's it's been really great. And so there's so much stuff that we look at and like the the dull and dirty, the grinding stuff. And that was the first question um, that I asked Randy when we demoed the the collaborative robot. It's Randy Ellington, your project manager. That's right. That's right. And we the the payload issue as far as a grinding robot um, is a question mark for us still. Well, we're going through the demo, or I'm sorry, training in our shop, and we look on the FANUC console, and there's already an abrasives section. And what's pretty neat is how as quickly as FANUC is updating their firmware, it's again, it's one of those, we might find out in six months, all of a sudden they push an update to us, and it's we're ready to go. We just need another another robot, another head, you know? Right, and you've already gotten a couple of software updates. This is this is a new product for Fanic, by the way. The Fanic, uh, you know, one of my favorite robots. Uh, they're kind of late to the collaborative game. Their their first collaborative robot, they did it entirely differently than everyone else. They put a sensor in the base of the robot, but uh, but then the CRX model, of which you got one of the first in Houston, uh, huh. has uh, sensors in every joint. And so that's uh, they're a little they're a little late to come up with that solution, which other people's have, but they've done a superb job. Yeah, we 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 love it. I mean, it's it has helped us. We we target production right, so that we have a lead time on our products, which we want that to be as as short as possible. We don't mind having a lead time, but we want that to be short, right? Because after at a certain length of at a certain waiting period, people are going to get turned off. Yeah. Well. This helps us keep that at a manageable point because I can have a couple guys, one one of a couple guys, go run it and say, "Hey, look, we need parts for this these hundred grills coming up." They can go run it. All of a sudden, that's done. My welder's not having to come off of the fit up process. Go cut parts. You know, make these smaller uh, kind of front end parts. It's ready for them, and so we're able to really boost the throughput at his table because of the robot and it's now that these guys have learned it, 
they know it so well. I mean, they can watch out for what I'll call a crash or any of these instances where the sensors in that arm are so sensitive that you look at it and you're like, how did that, how did that welding torch even hit the leg right there? But it's, it makes all of us feel good and not be scared to be around it while it's running because you don't have to worry that it's going to knock you into the wall or pin you between the table. Right. No, safety, safety first. And, and, and that, that's one of the cool things about the collaborative robot is, is the, the sensors are not just to protect the robot or protect you from the robot, protect the robot from itself. Mm -hmm. So back, back in the old days, you know, I've been doing this since the eighties, robots would crash and then you'd write a check to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> and now the, if, if you crash the robot, it just stops. Yeah. So, it's, it's really, really neat. You know, we did a podcast, uh, man, about a year ago, uh, talking about COVID and how everybody uh, through COVID realized that these long supply chains and uh, th everything being built overseas has a downside to it. Mm -hmm. It might be cheap, but it also means we have fragile uh, supply chains. And so I'm seeing some reshoring, some onshoring, and I think you're an example of that. Mm -hmm. So have you seen an increase in sales, you know, since this COVID, since it's harder to get things from overseas? So during COVID, we definitely did. Good. And I'd say this year we've seen more of a right sizing. So we, we don't really, we don't really view our 22 top line versus 21 or 20, uh, just because people have gone back to work. They've traveled a lot more this year. And then of course have the inflationary concerns. So when we look at 22 versus 2019, I mean, we are definitely trending up over that. And we think a lot of that is a lot of people wanting to buy American, people, people now being able, able to buy American at a more competitive price. Because if you look at us or some of our American-made American competitors and our price points compared to a lot of these imported grills now, because of the supply chain issues and the container costs, they had to raise their prices so much that now we're we're almost sitting at the sitting on the retail floor with the same sticker price. Right, you're bringing your costs down through automation. That's right. That's and, right. And their costs are going up due to shipping costs. So. That, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's that's, exactly know, that's, right. the, that's the free market. I believe everybody in the world deserves a job, but I, I love the free market. I love the competition. So it's, it's it's really fun. It's it's what makes it fun. So that's mm -hmm. that's what uh, yeah the robot is helping us compete against those guys. And helping us, it's it's allowing us to think about new products and new, just a completely new format of our workflow and kind of the whole business because of what it's allowing us to do. So it's not a job stealer; it's a labor saving device. That's exactly right. More competitive. It's it's more, it's kind of a labor augmenter is a word, but it's helped augment our labor force. Mm -hmm. And we, being around forty years, we have several employees that have been with us 15, 20, 25 years. They like to do the same thing. They, they're great. So this is not a, mm -hmm. not taking anything away from them, but trying to convince somebody that's been there for 25 years to do something new is kind of a, you know, that's well, a tough job. I'll commend you though. You, you've done well. I, you know, I have varying levels of difficulty trying to integrate uh, automation into shops and some shops it's very challenging and, and it sounds like you did a good job with it. You must have a good rapport with all your folks. Well, where, where I was going with that is we have a, a couple guys that are newer and they're younger. Okay. So, they, so they, they jumped on it, right? They love it. Yeah. You know, one of, one of the guys builds gaming consoles at home as a hobby. So he just looks at this and this is like, this is like programming a game, but the right. game makes you gets him paid. Uh, and so <laughs> and he gets paycheck. That's right. That's right. So it's it's it. There's kind of unintended benefits like that where it keeps them interested. 
It helps them see the future. It helps them view it as not some dirty old welding fab shop mm-hmm. where like they've worked before. Now you got a cool guy robot shop now. That's right. That's right. And it's like, wait, we want to get more robots and we want to do this and we want to do that. And it's, mm-hmm. it really, there's have were some human capital impacts to the upside that I was really not expecting that really got me excited about it. Mm. So this you're going to expand more into the uh, standardized products now, less less custom because you're more competitive. So, or what's the plan here? Sh- share your vision for the future with me. So we're going to continue to grow our. That's yeah, basically what you just said was we're going to continue to grow our standardized product portfolio or our product lines. Um, we are going to grow these baseline products that we've had that we've just not had the time or capacity to advertise, promote, push. You know, get in the hands of the right people. So that's that's our adjustable charcoal grills, for instance. Great product we've had for 15, 20 years. We start posting about it on social media and people start saying, oh, this is a new product. And I'm like, no, it's, we've had it forever. But we just never had the kind of time or capacity to, to focus on it. And so now we're doing that. And we're just expanding our more traditional live fire line. Um, we've seen a huge number of this texas specifically uh, texas-based smoker businesses be started recently and their price points are quite a bit higher than ours oh, which is great for us yeah. because for 35 years we were the we were the most expensive guys on the block right that, um, that was your reputation that's right that's right so we're gonna you know hope to grow that line um and then of course you know grow and improve upon and uh, come out with new models of pellet grills. We're focusing on the built-in market now that there tends to be, a, there seems to be a gap there, especially, especially for a, uh, an American made pellet grill at a reasonable price point. I mean, there's some guys out there doing it and it's a fantastic product, but it's $8,000. Mm. And so we're going to try and be more kind of that $5,000 fully stainless. All um, stainless. Yes, sir. Uh, that's kind of our stainless steel. I, I kind of skipped over this, but, Pits and Spits was born out of a fab shop in the 80s that did a lot of work in the water treatment industry. So they had a lot of stainless, you know, experience in welders. So they we have always had stainless steel roll top lids, stainless steel front shelves. And so that's kind of something that sets us apart and that stainless is just half of our business basically. And not everyone does that in the, especially the pellet grill game and especially the offset smoker industry. Hmm. And so that's... You know, you can get a fully stainless pellet grill from us. There's one other one, I think, that's made in America. The There was a second one that kind of owned that market, and they recently they moved to China in t- the fall of 20, I believe. So interesting timing to, to do that, but um, they made that choice. But you have no plans to move to China. No, not uh, at all. All no, your stuff is made in USA, in Texas, that, in Houston. That's right. And we, we, I don't, uh, I don't speak Chinese, so I don't really know how I'd get along over there. But uh, no, I think that they have their place in the market and place Certainly. in the world. But there's a lot of designs, and kind of going back to our first attempt at the industrial robot with y'all, mm-hmm. there's a lot of a lot of parts of our design that make making our product challenging. And I have a real concern about quality control and consistency when it's not done in-house. Um, I got the same feeling right here. You know, whether that, we, we do everything in-house to control our timing and control our quality. That, that's right. That's right. And, it, and, and it's whether it be even, even domestic. I mean, I'm sure that there are some guys that are capable of doing it, but it's just a, it's, 
you don't want to order it and then they've got some supply chain issue and then you can't get it and now you're in a bind and it's just easier to say, Hey, look, we're going to, we're going to control costs and we're going to control our own destiny. We're going to build it in house. And we know we're not for everyone because of the price point, but there are a lot of guys and, and ladies also that like this type of product with this look and this operation and at this price point. So you've been doing it for 40 years. That's right. I've really enjoyed talking to you today because, you know, now, you know, I'm old. So, you know, my great joy nowadays is creating jobs for people. And, and to your credit, you, you pick the right technology, you pick the right job. Some people will tackle the wrong welding job. You pick the right job. And I was was happy for that. You managed to integrate it into your uh, organization without any conflict and got Mm -hmm. got total buy-in from everybody. And you're going to put work right here in Houston. I think that's great. I commend you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. So uh, what else did you want to tell us today? Anything else on your mind? I'm trying to think. Uh, I think we've kind of covered it all. Well, I, I, you got to tell people uh, where to find this stuff. Good, do, that's do, a do great they got to call you that's or is there a website? So we have, or? We have a, uh, on our website, we have a dealer locator. So we have dealers all over the country. So you don't buy directly from you. But if there's not a dealer close to you, you can buy direct okay, and they can, can. we can ship to you. So we ship all over the world. Uh, we do not make any money on the freight, uh, just so people know that, because freight can be expensive for a product like this. I've noticed that. Um, but yes, we we have dealers all over all over the country. Uh, a couple in Canada, one in Australia. So we're we're available most most places. Okay, and I, I've got a pellet grill. Okay, it's not one of yours. And uh, the ins- assembly instructions were like five pages long. How long are your assembly instructions? Our assembly instructions. It's actually a. Uh, front and back kind of quadruple spaced bullet point. I was kidding. I thought most of yours is already assembled. Well, it is. It's, yeah, okay. it's really just pictures of me and Koi, our sales guy, uh, <laughs> showing you how to put wheels on the grill because oh, okay. so, it shows up uh, fully welded. Yeah. Okay. That was my bolt, point. Bolt the wheels on, put the uh, put the front shelf on, you're good to go. All right. So you got a website? Uh, www.pitsandspits.com. And is spelled out, and there's two T's in both pits and spits. Gotcha. Any other social media presence you just said we're on we're on all of it so we're yeah. that just at pits and spits on instagram facebook youtube uh youtube got any i think we're on tiktok now too are you, okay. else says I that. you misspell it and still find you that's right that's right well i i appreciate the business i appreciate you big making jobs right here in houston and i appreciate you coming on the air today with us today absolutely thank you for having me all right We'll get you back on when we get you some industrial robots in there doing some drilling and tapping and cutting, too. That sounds good to me. Looking forward to it. Yes, sir.